So if you have your Bible still uh, near you or you have the Pew Bible, uh, you can turn to the book of Luke, uh, chapter 7. And so at Hope, we're, we're working our way through the, the book of Luke, um, written by a man named Luke, who was a physician who did careful research about who Jesus is, what he did. And at the very beginning of the book, we, we talked about this several months ago, that he was writing that we might have certainty concerning the things that we have been taught. And so really each, wor- each week, there's a sense of rising certainty of this is who Jesus is. These are the things that he has done for us. Now, chapter 7, where we find ourselves today, is interesting because Jesus is being presented in, in all of his power in a number of different ways. Um, so last week, we saw Jesus healing the, the servant of a centurion. And, and it, it, it says that Jesus is one who has authority, that, that he has authority over sickness. And then today, we're going to see the authority of Jesus then over death. So it's not just sickness that he's just a, a great healer, but it's actually authority that stretches um, even beyond that. <laughs> Hard day out there. <laughs> um, um, and then, uh, but then actually next week, uh, we'll also be looking then at the, the authority of Jesus, not just over, over sickness and over death, but also over doubt as John the Baptist comes to him. So sickness, death, and doubt. So today we'll focus on death. So, so a very encouraging <laughs> theme, but it is because we see Jesus' power and authority over death. So again, this is Luke chapter 7, um, and this is on page 863 uh, in your pew Bible if you're following along. So soon afterwards... He went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Weep not. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bears stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And his report And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that the the words of my mouth, the, the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, that you would guide us as we study this together. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you see this scene here in our passage where Jesus is near near this town called Nain with his disciples. Uh, It's southwest of the Sea of Galilee. And as they enter the town, they see this funeral procession coming out. They see people crying, people weeping. Uh, They see the mother of this deceased young man. And we learn that it's even more tragic than we thought that she's a widow 
this is her only child. Um, and I mean, losing a child is one of the most unimaginably painful things for anyone. And so people are overwhelmed by the reality of death. But yet in a way, though, if you think about it, it wouldn't have been an unusual scene in the first century. And it's not really actually an unusual scene today as well. I mean, we're not surprised when we drive past a cemetery and we see a, a tent set up over one of the graves. And we're not surprised if you're, if you're driving and you see a hearse come by. Uh, we, we are just confronted with death constantly. And then we start to recognize that, well, unless Jesus comes back first, uh, we're all going to die, every single one of us. That The track record of, of humanity thus far has been that everyone has died. Um, and, and I was even thinking, uh, when I was a young child, I was really into Vikings. And I remember from one of the, my books on Vikings that there was this Viking poem that said, cattle die, kindred die, every man is mortal. Um, and, and that's true. And, and, and in Ecclesiastes from the Bible, we read, uh, and he came from his mother's womb, and he shall go again, naked as he came, and he shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. And so as we confront then the, the reality of death that's definitely around us, we can have a number of reactions, and we see different reactions in our culture. So one reaction, and I think it's probably the most common reaction, is basically just to ignore the reality of death as much as possible. Uh, we pretend like we're going to, to live forever. We try to just cordon death away into a nursing home or into a hospital. And then we try to, to deaden any sense that death is coming, whether it's through, through work or entertainment or drugs or a host of other things that, that we, don't, we don't want to deal with the impending reality. So that's one reaction. But then another reaction is not to ignore death, but then is actually to pretend like death is, is something good or something, something noble, just part of the natural cycle. And you can think about the, the scene in Lion King where, where Simba is uh, traveling with his, his father, Mufasa. And so Mufasa says, everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. As king, you not need to understand that balance and to respect all creatures, from crawling ant to the leaping antelope. Simba, but dad, don't we eat the antelope? Mufasa, yes, Simba, but let me explain. When we die, our bodies become the grass, and the antelope eat the grass. And so we are all connected in the great circle of life. And in a way, as the story unfolds, then we see death as something that's not necessarily that bad because it's natural and you think well anything that's that's natural can't be that bad that if it's natural it's good and so we hear about the the beauty of death or the life cycle or the, the this an evolutionary process uh, or we hear about birth death rebirth um, and so it, it, it all saying this is something beautiful it's something good that that the answer is just to embrace it as good but Neither one of those is really the biblical perspective on, on death. That the, the Bible doesn't say that we should ignore death, not think about death, but it also doesn't say that it, it's something good or something beautiful. Because if you look at the very beginning of the Bible story, 
death is presented as, as well, actually, it's, it's not presented at the very beginning because God created the world good. He created human beings in his image. Uh, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they weren't subject to death or to sickness. And if they had listened to God, if they obeyed, there was this promise of life everlasting with God forever. But if they disobeyed, God said that they would surely die. And, and we read in scripture that the, the wages of sin is death. And so we, we all know what happened, that they sinned against God. They brought spiritual death on themselves. They began to die physically. They eventually died physically. And they, they plunged themselves and all of us into the, the world of, of sadness and of death that we see around us today. And commenting on this, this idea, and really from our text in Luke, the, the 19th century pastor J.C. Ryle says this. He says, let us never forget this great truth. The world around us is full of sorrow, sickness, and pain, and infirmity, and poverty, and labor, and trouble abound on every side. From one end of the world to the other, the history of families is full of lamentation, and weeping, and mourning, and woe, and whence does it all come? Sin is the fountain and root to which all must be traced. There would neither have been tears nor cares nor illness nor death nor funerals in the earth if there had been no sin. And that's really capturing the, the biblical perspective that, that death isn't, isn't just natural, it isn't good, but it's actually an enemy. It's a, it's a cancer, it's... It's not the way that the world should be. And this is why in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says that Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so you see there that he's saying that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That death is an enemy. It's not good. It's not the original design. And I think that we all recognize that on some really deep level within our hearts. We recoil from death, even though it's so common, even we know that, that we're going to die, that everyone who has lived in history, who's not living, has died. Yet we, sit, we realize this is not right. This is not the way that it should be, that something is wrong here. But yet, I think even though we recoil from it, then we can also become desensitized to the reality of death. And you know, people sometimes talk about that with video games or, or people who have to be around death a lot, like an undertaker. Um, but I think that, that all of us, to one degree or another, can become desensitized to the reality of death, where we think, uh, some, we hear about death, it, it doesn't move us. Somebody tells us about the death of a loved one, we're not moved in any way. I mean, I'm not against action movies. I watch action movies. But even there, I think that there can be a degree to which we can uh, be desensitized to death, where, you know, the guard is shot. We don't think about it. He's a minor character. No one cares. And not thinking that this is somebody who's, you know, if, if it were real, who's created in the image of God, has, has value and dignity. And, and so there's this really strange irony, I think, in our world where we simultaneously glorify death but then also ignore the reality of our own mortality. And so it's this, this strange paradox. But what we see here, though, in our text from Luke is that Jesus wasn't desensitized to death, that really we could say that he was intensely sensitized 
to the reality of death in the world. And so we see this in just the way that he responds. And, and look at his first reaction. And the first reaction is that he sees. Uh, look at verse 13. And when the Lord saw her. And so Jesus sees this mother in, in her pain. He sees her in her sorrow and her loss and her anger. All that, that she's going through. And he knows her completely. And it's the same with, with us, that, that Jesus sees us in the midst of our sorrow and in the midst of our loss, that, that he sees you in your hopelessness, he sees you in your pain, he sees you in your anger. And so we can know that, that when we're in the middle of suffering, we're not alone. And I think that by extension then, we're called to model that as well, where we, we're, we are to see people who are facing death and facing, facing suffering and facing loss. And so do we actually see people? And it's, it's not obviously we see them physically, but do we really see them where they are in, in pain and loss and suffering? Or do we prefer just to say, I don't want to deal with that. That's, that's too painful. I want to think of just about what's, what's happier. I want to focus on people who are successful and, and doing well. But here Jesus sees. But then second, he has compassion. Look at verse 13 again. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And so he, he doesn't see and then react in indifference or disgust. Uh, but, but he sees her and is, and is moved with this deep compassion. And it's, it's the same for us as well, that when, when Christ sees us, uh, that, that he has compassion on us. And I think for, for some of you, that might be really easy to believe. Like, of course, Jesus has compassion on me. But I've definitely known people over the years who have a hard time believing that, that Jesus could actually see them where they are in life and then actually feel compassion for them. And they think that maybe... God is just like a, an earthly father who abandoned them, or God is aloof and doesn't care, or he's angry in some way. But that's not what we see in Scripture, that, that Jesus has compassion here, just as he wept at the funeral of Lazarus, right? That that's the, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, that he was sensitized to the reality of human suffering, of death, of, of pain. That's why the book of Hebrews in the New Testament says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so there you see it. That it says that he sympathizes with our weakness, that he, he feels compassion for us in our weakness. And so we have a calling then to, to have compassion for others around us as well, following that, that pattern. And I think that that's something that we hear a lot in culture of we need to, to have compassion, we need to be people of compassion. And you say, well, what, what does that mean? And I think that, that compassion has to do with whatever word you want, sympathize, empathize. It's, it's enter, being willing to enter into a place of, of darkness and suffering, to come along 
someone in need. And so you think about uh, a doctor. Uh, think of a doctor without compassion. And, and I'll, I'll pick on doctors because there are many with compassion, but I think it's a place where w when we come across a doctor without compassion, we feel it in a way. I mean, think of a doctor who's cold or clinical or blunt or uh, just unemotional and just gives the hard, cold facts and then moves on to the next patient. And, and that's really hard. That's not the kind of doctor we want. But then imagine a doctor who is compassionate, that, that he's not so overwhelmed by the reality of suffering and death that he can't do his job, but yet he seeks to identify with his patients, where if they're grieving, he's willing to grieve along with them. Or if they are confused, he's willing to explain. Or if uh, they need comfort, he's willing to, to comfort that he has compassion. That, that's what we want. Again, somebody who's not so fragile that they collapse, but yet somebody who is compassionate, identifies with our weakness, and comes alongside of us in the hour of darkness and in need. And that's the kind of, of great physician that, that Jesus is to us. And actually, we'll, we'll read this when we do our profession of faith before we take the Lord's Supper. But in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about this compassion of Jesus. He says, let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. So that's a way of talking about compassion, not just looking at yourself, but, but looking at those around you as well. And then he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so Jesus, in his compassion, actually enters into human weakness and pain. And he does that by, by taking on himself a, a human nature that he's willing to suffer, to die, to, to be involved in the, just what, what he sees around him in a world full of death. And, and so that then... Is, is our model for those who have experienced the, the love and compassion of Christ as well. And so Jesus sees and he has compassion. But then third, his third response to death here is that he speaks words of comfort. Look again at, at verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Now, when, when you read the Bible, you have to be careful with this. <laughs> uh, but I think sometimes we assume we know what the tone of the speaker is. And so it's not always helpful to, to speculate about, about tone. But, but here I, I really do think that, that we can guess what the tone of Jesus is, where, where he didn't say, come on, weep not, in, a, in an angry tone. And, where, and he didn't say, weep not you know, in an indifferent tone. Uh, he, he didn't say, Come, don't weep in a, in a patronizing, kind of condescending tone. But I, I'm quite confident that when Jesus said, weep not, that he said it with, with deep emotion, with deep compassion, with deep love, deep feeling. He wasn't angry, indifferent, condescending. But really, he was able to speak exactly what this person needed in this moment of pain and loss. 
And it's the same for us that, that Christ speaks words of comfort to us when we meet it, not need it most. And you say, well, I've never heard the word of, of Jesus speaking to me. But really, that's what we have in, in Scripture, that this weep not wasn't just for the, the woman here, but that's for us as well as we confront death, as saying, weep not. And we have other examples in Scripture, such as 1 Thessalonians 4, where the, where the Apostle Paul says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. That's speaking word of, of comfort. Or also Romans 8. Paul says, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. And so Christ speaks comfort. And I think that as well, when we confront suffering and loss around us, that there is a, a time and a place to speak words of comfort. I mean, that's part of my, my job as a pastor at a, at a funeral or, or when people are experiencing loss is to, to be able to gently remind people of truth that, yes, Christ sees you. He, he has compassion on you. He's there. Nothing can separate you from his love. That, that God has a purpose. He has a plan. But I think, though, that we also need to be really careful before we try to speak words of comfort ourselves. Um, there, there's an entire book of the Bible called Job about the, the problem of human suffering. And his friends are just notorious, horrible comforters. But they start off well because when they come to him initially, he, he's lost his children, he's lost everything, he's lying in the dust. And, and they are, they're speechless in the face of suffering. And so they just sit with him in silence for, for seven days. Um, and they really only get themselves into trouble when they open their mouth and start, start talking and trying to, to explain. And as I was, I was thinking about this, though, and thinking about this, this funeral that we see here in our passage, uh, I was thinking about a family that, that we knew at our church in North Carolina um, before we moved up to this region. And uh, they, they're just a really wonderful family. They, they would have us as college students over all the time. And they, they lost their seven-year-old daughter very unexpectedly. And um, I, I had the privilege of being a, a pallbearer at the funeral. And, I mean, and at the funeral, I mean, it's that picture of what we see this woman going through in our text, this, this suffering, this loss. But seeing that, that death, it's not beautiful, it's, it's not good, that it, it's, it's horrible, it's the enemy, it, it's not the way that things should be. And I was thinking of comfort, of how do, does somebody actually speak comfort? So I, I reached out to, to Monica, the, the woman who, who lost the child, and just said, hey, what, what was helpful and what was unhelpful when you were going through your, your suffering and loss? And she wrote this back to me in an email. She said, people occasionally try to explain tragedies with a Christian reason. For instance, we all want to think that God has some grand purpose in the suffering, and if we can figure it out, everything will be okay. The problem is, A, we don't have the mind of God and don't know the purpose, and B, even if we did know the purpose, it doesn't make everything okay. I won't know the purpose for Karis' death until I get to heaven, and by letting go of the feeling that I have to figure out 
the grand purpose, I have more mental, emotional peace. In my opinion, it's bad form for friends and family to think that they can dissect the purpose for someone else's suffering. There's no magical Bible verse that heals the hurt. And trust me, I've looked for them all. Sometimes friends feel like they have to cover every situation with Christianese. Uh, your, your loved one is with Christ. He's in a better place. Romans 8.28, etc. That kind of thing is not helpful, especially early on. That is better just to say, I'm sorry, I know you'll miss him or her so much. And so, I think, I mean, from what she's saying, that, that there is this, this time and this place to, to speak comfort, but we have to be careful because we ourselves are, are not God. And, and we don't have the, the power to confront death on our own strength. But thankfully, this is where Jesus is very different from us because he sees this woman, he has compassion, he speaks words of comfort, but they're not empty words like our words so often are, but he's able then to, to back up his, his word of comfort with action in a way that, that we never could. And that's really our, our final observation here from this text, that he restores. Look again at verse 13. And when, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the de- dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. And so, so Jesus here speaks and then speaks with, with power to raise the dead. Um, he says to this young man, rise up, and immediately he, he rises up, begins to speak. And, and I love how it says, and Jesus gave him to his mother, that th- this, this presentation, you know, here, here's your son, that it's, it's a moment that, that everyone who's lost a loved one wants to have, where, the, where it turns out that, that it's made untrue, that, that there's this moment of, of joy and, and gladness and hope. And everybody who's around seeing this unfold, um, they're, they're moved as well. It, it says in verse 16 that fear sees them all, and they glorify God. Really interesting reaction, right? Fear and glory. Uh, and they said, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Now, this is only one of three stories in the New Testament where Jesus raises someone from the dead. And so this is among the most remarkable miracles in the Bible. And there's a few examples of the dead being raised in the Old Testament. Peter read for us one from, from the prophet Elisha. But even he as a prophet could not confront death itself. That, that, that he was just pointing forward to a, a greater prophet who was yet to come. But then we say, well, why did Jesus here at this moment, in this particular time, he raise this particular young man from the dead? That he didn't raise everyone from the dead, so why here? And I think that what Jesus is doing is he wanted to display his, his authority over death itself. Uh, because he came into the world to defeat the great enemy, death. And, and, and the very root 
of that enemy, which is sin. Because that's what we said, that death came into the world through sin. And, and so Jesus, by going to the cross, is able to, to deal with sin itself, that he suffers, he dies. And, and you think that as he was suffering and dying, as he was buried in the tomb, his mother also was watching and grieving and weeping for her son in, in agony. And when Jesus was buried, people thought, well, I guess death is powerful. The, the enemy death won. But they were wrong because in reality, Jesus had taken all the sins of his people onto himself. And he had paid the, the penalty for those sins, which is death. And because he's God, the grave itself couldn't hold him. And that he, he rose from the dead in victory over sin, over death, and over the devil. And that, that he demonstrated decisively his authority over death. And so for those then who are in Christ, who, who trust in Jesus, there's this amazing promise of, of life and of, of resurrection that, that yes, there are these moments in, in so much of life where, where God will say, yeah, you do not weep, but yet our loved ones are still dead. We still see pain and suffering around us. And in that moment, what we have is the, is the promise of, of God. We have the, the, the word of Christ that was backed up by his, his resurrection. But then also we have this sure promise that he will make all things new. And this is what makes the, the Christian view of, of death just so amazing compared to any other philosophy or, or religion or, or system. Because it says that we, we don't ignore death. Because the very centerpiece of Christianity is the death of the Son of God. The death is unavoidable to think about as a, as a Christian. But then at the same time, we can say death isn't beautiful, it's not good, it's, it's an enemy to be defeated. But that Christ actually did defeat death decisively by dying. And, and so he, he demonstrates that here by raising this young man, and then he accomplishes it for us on the cross which is why the author to the Hebrews says, he came that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Then again in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, the apostle Paul says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as, as we come now to, to this meal then, we have a, a picture of this victory of Jesus over sin and death. That, that we, have, we have a, a picture of, of course, his victory over death in the passage that we were looking at. Uh, but then, as we said, that, that Jesus came into the world, that, that he had compassion to the point that he, he took upon himself a human nature. He suffered and died. His, his body was broken. His, his blood was shed for us and for the forgiveness of sins. Um, but then there's this transformation where we're not left with, with death, but, but then we, we have a, a meal of celebration that we enjoy together looking forward to the, to the new heavens and new earth that, that Christ has, has purchased for us. And, and so, again, it's, it's both victory over death and, and life itself in, in picture form for us.